있는 여자 커피 한 잔에 여유를 아는 품격 있는 여자 밤이 오면 심장이 뜨거워지는 여자 그런 반전 있는 여자 everybody welcome back to the life of an average joe podcast man i got a fun one today this one uh, i swear i could have made it in several parts and maybe i could do a monthly segment on it because of of just how much there is to talk about we're going to talk about one hit wonders you know those songs that that we hear over the years that stick in our heads that stay on our playlist either for a good reason or a bad reason i mean you have literal decades where they were consistently made up of one-hit wonders. The 80s being a huge one. The 90s as well. I feel like most hip-hop today is made up of one-hit wonders. And I don't even know if they're hits. They're more just one radio play wonders. I don't know. But there have been some serious one-hit wonders over the years that I have fallen in love with that I've sat there and been like, man, how did you create this song and never do anything as good again? But it's really not that hard to do if you think about it. I mean, look at directors. Look at authors. There are some people that come out, they direct one movie, and they never can top that. It's like they hit their peak, they knocked it out of the stadium with that one film, and they can never top it. And same thing with authors. I mean, you have one concept, one idea, and you sink your soul into it. You put all the words on paper, and that's it. And it might take them years to come out with another book or story or novel or or screenplay. And it just doesn't work. It just doesn't manifest into what really they had before. But before I get into these one-hit wonders, I want to say thanks again. I've gotten a, a lot of great responses from doing the lives on Facebook and Instagram. I appreciate that. Um, that's cool. We're doing some really fun stuff. And, uh, you know, when you do a podcast, it... You can't stay the same. And I think for many of the people out there that that listen, um, that have their own podcast or their own shows, they understand that. You've got to kind of move and flow with things. And sometimes you have to do things that are maybe a little bit out of your element. I don't even know if that's the right word. Maybe just a little different because otherwise your podcasts get boring. And I mean, I, I have done some really good good things in my life, some really bad things in my life. Um, but I've had some cool experiences. So me talking about those experiences and those short stories from, you know, urban exploring or Miami or meeting the rock or, you know, my concerts, that's great. But there's other stuff too that makes up the life of an average Joe, everyday life. You know, eventually I'm going to run out of past stories to tell, whether that's because I've told them all or because I just can't remember them. So we've got to talk about other aspects of the life of an average Joe. And that's what I've been doing with this season, kind of looking at different things, you know, talking about some of those classic toys, those weird toys, those things that I collected when I was younger on the previous episode, diving in to yet some more music because music is a huge part of my life and talking about the one hit wonders. Next week, I go back into another fun episode. It's a short story, another short story from the average Joe, uh, me. And it's about going to an amusement park and actually getting stuck there for a little bit when they closed. It's kind of a fun story, and it takes me back to the days when I enjoyed amusement parks. And this particular amusement park isn't around anymore, so it'll be fun to talk about that. So I want to thank you guys for kind of still supporting and, and you know going through these changes with me as I've uh, changed the website a little bit and, and some stuff and put some things on hold and, and move forward with some other stuff. Because I got to tell you, it's hard to do a podcast every week. If people say it's easy, like you just put on a microphone and talk, they don't really get it. They don't really get it. Because you have some episodes that you think that you knock out of the park, and then you're not getting the response that you thought. And then you have some other episodes that you're like, yeah, it was okay, and it blows up. But what really the most exhausting thing is taking the time to sit and finding that in your everyday life. And putting together a podcast, spilling yourself out there over the airwaves, promoting it week after week. you got to stay ahead of the game. 
You've got to stay. Anybody, in my opinion, and I'm not putting anybody down, but in my opinion, if you don't sit there and record multiple episodes ahead of schedule, there's no way that you're going to not get burned out or you're going to miss a week. And I know people personally that miss a week. And it's, and I'm again, I'm not putting them down, but I know that that whenever you step out of the game, it can hurt you. So I am thankful that I am so far ahead because I uh, right now, look, I'm recording this. This is this is the first of June. Or maybe May, actually. What is it? It's not even June yet. Not even June yet. And this is going to air the second week in June, almost, you know, if not the third. I don't remember when I'm airing this. So I'm staying ahead of the game, and thank God, because I have so much stuff coming up. I, I often feel exhausted when doing it, but I enjoy it, and your guys' emails and messages and support, it's awesome. So let's dive into one-hit wonders. What makes a one-hit wonder? What makes a real one-hit wonder? Well, it's pretty self-explanatory if you think about it. It's one hit. One good song. I'm drinking a ton of water, guys. It's already going to be a hot summer in Texas, trust me. It's... One hit that that makes it that blows up that that makes the this band known that makes this artist known that hits the airwaves that gets the downloads and it puts them on the map and then they disappear maybe they maybe they just disappear completely and don't make music anymore at all maybe they switch and just start writing music for people but don't produce don't sing themselves. Maybe they make other music, but it's just, it never crosses that line. And I want to today, I mean, again, I could talk about so many one-hit wonders. I mean, it's endless. Literally, I could have started with the 60s and gone all the way up to now. But I'm just going to pick and choose. So ahead of time, I'm going to tell you I'm going to forget a ton that I want to talk about. I am. My notes are in front of me, and I probably won't even look at them. Um... So, what I want to do for you guys is make sure you tell me your one-hit wonders, ones that you like, ones that you wish you didn't like, ones that make you just say, oh man, turn it up. Make sure you drop those comments on my social media or email me. Or go ahead and go over to the Life of an Average Show Podcast.com. Drop me a message there. While you're at it, go ahead and give me a little review. You know, I don't wanna I don't wanna twist your arm, but I'll take a review on any platform, you know, just Good or bad, I mean, I'm down. I'm down with some reviews. I like to get a little feedback, both positive and negative. It doesn't bother me. Can't all be positive, right? Can't all be negative either. <laughs> Maybe it can. I don't know. These days on social media, I feel like that's all there is. But So drop your comments. I definitely want to hear from you on your podcast. Or on your on your podcast. On your um, one-hit wonders. But there's so many. And I got I to gotta start off by a one-hit wonder right now that I fell in love with and for some reason it's it's catchy you guys know it it is truly a one-hit wonder and it's called breakfast at Tiffany's that's right breakfast at Tiffany's not the movie but the song breakfast at Tiffany's now a quick short story about this song I can hear it in my head right now. It's by Deep Blue Something, okay? Came out in 93. Deep Blue Something never did anything else after that. They never had another hit. They created some more music. I don't even think they're around, but that was the 11th song on the album, and it was their hit, Breakfast at Tiffany's. So let's rewind it a little bit before I dive into this music here. If you don't know the song, look it up and just listen to it. Matter of fact... Jot some notes down so you can go back and listen to these if you're not familiar with them. Because it's fun. Who doesn't like that? Um, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Deep Blue Something, was on a playlist I made when my son was about to be born. It was the sliding out of the womb playlist. That's a a very funny image. Or as he did, just walk out. Um, And I made this playlist of all kinds of music. All kinds of music. From Eminem to John Cena's theme song. Some country music on there, um, uh, Ludacris, uh, you know, other rap artists. I mean, just rock, uh, Tom Petty. Just a, a, a playlist because you never know. Like when you're having a baby, you don't know what the situation. You could be there for a couple hours, could be there for two days. But I just wanted to have music on 
to not only relax my wife at the time as best as possible, but to just create a cool mood when he popped up. And I wanted him to have an entrance music, like a theme song, man. Like, you know, Vader comes walking out, boom, he's got his entrance music. Brock Lesnar on WWE, boom, entrance music. By the way, Brock Lesnar's music was on there. I was really hoping for the John Cena theme or the Shane O'Mac theme. You know, here comes the money, Shane, Shane McMahon from WWF. I just thought it'd be perfect. It ended up being, after, out of all the songs, it ended up being Breakfast at Tiffany's. That was his... I'm out of my mama song and into the world. So that song does resonate with me, right? Not on a, he doesn't know it. I don't even, he doesn't even like it. I put it on his playlist. He's got like 90 songs on his playlist, maybe a hundred now. And he's always, here's a song. He's like, Hey, add it to my playlist. Um, and he'll go tell Echo or Spot or Alexa, depending on which room he's in. It'll be like, Echo, play Luke's playlist and it'll play it. And then he'll skip it or shuffle it. It's great. Um, sometimes he repeats a song like 12 times. Uh, that can get frustrating. Um, but I put it on there and he's like, Dad, I don't like this song. And I'm like, yeah, but this is the song that we played at the hospital when you were born. And he just looks at me like, I don't, I don't, I don't care. And I'm like, uh. I just thought he might like even resonate with him. Like he might be like, hey, Dad, this is the song that you played at the hospital when I was born. But he doesn't like it. Could care less about it. But Deep Blue Something had a hit. Breakfast at Tiffany's. You know the song. You know the movie. You know, if you don't know the movie, I don't, I don't really even know who you are. But Breakfast and Tiffany's put them on the map, okay? And the song itself is about a relationship. You don't, if you look at the words, you can kind of figure it out. But it's about a relationship, and it was their only hit. It was the band's only hit, and it hit number five on the Billboard's Top 100. Pretty awesome. And it peaked, I think, at number seven over in Australia and the UK and all that. But it was huge. So the song essentially is about a relationship. It's about a couple that don't have anything in common anymore. They're realizing as they've gone through this relationship, they just don't have anything in common anymore. Everything they talk about is they're not into. It's the opposites. It's like, you like Coke, I like Pepsi. You like coffee, I like tea. Like, there's nothing that's keeping them together. And so they're sitting there trying to figure out what they have together so they can keep this relationship. Because they don't feel like ending it, but yet they want to find something that bonds them. And they talk about the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's, and they said, oh, yeah, we both kind of liked it. And that's where the song comes from. So when you hear that part, you know, I said, what about Breakfast at Tiffany's? We both said we kind of liked it. Yeah, that's it. Like, they're literally like, okay, that's all we got. And what's funny is when this song, because it had the word breakfast in the title, and when it came out, regular radio was still something. It was important to listen to regular AM, FM radio. You know, when you're in the car, uh, you know, you didn't have serious radio. You weren't having Bluetooth. You had your CD players, you know, if you're lucky, you could put some CDs in. Uh, cassette tapes, sure, but you didn't have, you know, satellite radio or anything, so you had to listen to radio. And they had constructive shows, you know, the Top 100, uh, they had, you know, talk shows, bands. Well, they would get these, they would get Deep Blue Something to come on in the morning because it was breakfast at Tiffany's. They would come to these studios at 3 or 4 a.m. and perform the song, maybe 5, all the time. And they, they, were, they were just getting really pissed off about it because they're like, look, we'd have to get up and get to the studio by three and then we'd play the song at five, maybe six if we're lucky. And we just were, we were exhausted. You know, we just played a, a concert the night before, got out at, at midnight, went, took a nap, came up and did this thing all over again. But all these guys in the studio, all the great marketing was like, oh, hey, you know what? You guys are a breakfast song, right? Breakfast? Let's, let's play you in the morning. And they got really pissed off about it. But the reception of the song was really good. It was catchy. It's been in a, it's major radio friendly. Major. It was listed on Blender as ranked as the number six song of most awesomely bad songs. Songs that suck, but you love. Which is kind of a, an insult, I guess. But yeah, they, they really, they, that was it. After that, Deep Blue Something just disappeared. Um, it was in a bunch of, of, like I said, TV shows and movies. Uh, one most notably, New Girl. Uh, Nick Miller from the season one loves the song. Which makes sense. Me and Nick Miller tend to vibe on that sort of thing. Um, 
but they disappeared. Uh, they they broke up. They got back together. They did an acoustic version of it. Um, they performed the song on a flatbed truck and did a little tour of it. It's just so weird. But that was it. None of the other songs on the album are any good. It's not that they're like crap. They're just not good songs. And you wonder, like, how did you just, did you just luck into that? Like, did you totally just luck into this song? And I think they did. Because the guy's not bad, you know, as a singer for, for that time and that genre. But um, they also did pretty well in Japan. They regrouped, like, I think in 2014. They did. They run an independent label, and they did really well in Japan. So, Japanese love them. Here's something for all you Texas people out there. The band is from Denton, Texas. Which is just down the street from me, which is where I go to hang out. I've got a great vinyl sh- uh, shop there, coffee shop, uh, free play, which is that vi- video arcade place I love to go to. Denton's great. They all went to the University of North Texas. And that's how they formed. So it's pretty cool that the brothers formed in Denton just down the street from me. And there you go. Breakfast at Tiffany's is one of those songs. But you look at other genres, you look at other ones, and, and you know, there's, there's so many. Another famous, huge song that I've talked about before is Closing Time by Semisonic. Now, some people might argue with me that, that they are not a one-hit wonder because they have good songs. Just because a band has good songs on their album doesn't make them a non-one-hit wonder. Good doesn't mean a hit, and good is all, I mean, in whose opinion, mine or yours? But their only true hit, what is considered a hit, is Closing Time. And I know that this song has spanned over all generations. It has been played in bars. It has been sung at karaoke more times than we would like. But what's interesting enough about Closing Time is the song's not about a bar at all. And I've even played it at bars when it's time for Last Call. It's not. The song's actually about his his daughter being in the hospital. So they're writing their songs, okay? They're writing their, their you know, their song and, and trying to put it together. And right before the recording was scheduled to begin, his wife experienced major complications in, in her pregnancy. Their baby, Coco, was born three months premature, only weighing 11 ounces, which is crazy. The band said, hey, we're going to postpone these sessions. You know, you could be with your wife. And the, the lead singer's like, look, man, what am I going to do at the hospital? I need to stay busy. I'm going to still see my wife and my baby, but it's 11 ounces. It's got so much care. You know, she's got so much care. I, I need to stay busy. So instead, they bumped the sessions up. And then the whole song took a new meaning. Like the one line where it says, I know who I want to take me home. He was looking forward to the day that he could bring his daughter home. Everything is about him getting to that point to bring his daughter home. It, yes, they talk about a bar closing time, blah, blah, one last call for alcohol. Yeah, because he's got to go home to his daughter. So everything is circled around his daughter. What's really interesting is a year later, that poor kid was in the hospital for a year. She left the hospital in February 1998. And that was the same day that closing time was released as a single. I guess the ambulance driver who transported them home asked if he was the same Dan Wilson from the band, and that's when he said everything about that he has done in the last year for his wife, family, his you know his daughter, the band just hit him, and he broke down in tears. So this song, as you're sitting here singing it, thinking about a bar, has nothing to do with a bar or an establishment. It has to do with his daughter. And that was a huge hit, but it was the band's only hit. Now... They did have a couple other good songs, I'll admit. On that album, there's some good songs. But they never compared to Closing Time. Ever. I actually saw them years later at a, at a bar in Philly. I saw a couple bar bands in Philly, actually, this bar. And they were doing an all-acoustic set. I think I paid like $12 or something, maybe 15 I don't know. Totally worth it. And he told that story. And he sang that song, and they did a couple other covers. and they did. It was cool, though. It was a really low-key, fun concert. But I think I had more respect for him after hearing about 
that process and then hearing the songs that he recorded after that because of that concert than I did with just liking a song that sounded like I could do Last Call at a bar. But it's amazing to think about that that song that we all know is not about the bar scene by any means. But let's look at some other songs. You know, let's look at some other songs over there. And mind you, these songs that I'm naming, they're pretty much all on my playlist somewhere. I don't know where, but they're in there. This is a song I love. <laughs> I love. And it's a horrible song. Well, and it's really not a horrible song. That's not fair. Came out in 1996, I believe. I think. I could be wrong. No, that's not true. Mac Morrison. Return of the Mac. Come on. You've got to know about Mac Morrison. He was a huge, huge star. He appeared on a lot of people's music in the background. He helped write a lot of people's music. But his only hit was Return of the Mac. And that song comes on. And it takes me back to those 90 hip -hop, 90s hip-hop days, 90s R&B, like the Jody C era, you know, before KC and JoJo, SWV, you know, um, just some great, great R&B music. And Return of the Mac was the jam. And he took the charts by storm. I'm talking fire, like serious, serious fire. He blew up the charts, and everybody thought Mac Morrison's it. Mac Morrison is going to be the guy that comes in. He's going to take spot, you know, take the spot of Boys to Men, all that stuff. And he never did. He never did. It did come out in '96. I thought it was earlier than that, but yeah, March fourth, '96. It was his only hit. Top the UK charts, huge. It was the third single from from Return of the Mac, the album. But it was the only one that ever made a hit. That's crazy. And then, of course, it, it dominated in the United Kingdom. But in the United States, it reached number two, which was massive for that song. It's it's a pretty simple song. It does take some background from, uh, if you guys are just a little nerd for you, the Tom Tom Club. You guys probably don't know the Tom Tom Club. That's fine. But it's the song Genius of Love. Uh, by the Tom Tom Club. And it kind of mixes that. It takes a couple different fragments. It takes like four or five different fragments of songs and, and pieces and mixes it. But it's got Return of the Mac. And this was R&B in what I consider to be its heydays. From the, you know, the, from the 80s all the way into the 90s with some serious heydays for R&B. Now, it's just not the same. We're all listening to the same stuff. We're all putting Joe see back on. Maybe a little Casey and JoJo. We're all going back to Boys to Men. Ain't nothing out there R&B-wise that's 100% that's legit. Bruno Mars, but he kind of crosses that R&B. He's a little more than R&B. Some people would even say The Weeknd, but he's more than that too. So, but but I mean, I'm talking boys to men style R&B. You know, that, that's what Mac Morrison was doing. But that was it. He fizzled. He lives in Palm Beach, I think, now. He's got his own record label, and I'm sure he's still performing. You always see those concerts that pop up. There's like five different bands of one-hit wonders. And you're like, dude, what are they going to do? I'll come out and sing a song. Concert's going to be like 12 minutes long. But he pops up there. He's got to be in his late 50s now, maybe 60. Return of the Mac. There's another one, too, though. Genuine. Pony. Genuine was another one of those artists that came on the scene. Came out with Pony. You can, you know, strippers around the world thank him for that song. I mean, how many times has a stripper danced to that song? Great song. Never, ever, ever. And it was the same time. You kind of thought he was going to, you know, take the stage and be the next, I don't know, R&B superstar. I was going to say Jackson, Michael Jackson, but let's just calm down here. Um... I never did. Never did. Pony came out. He was done. And I think that came out... God, I don't remember when exactly when Pony came out. I think it was 94. Or it might have been 96 still. Yeah, it was 96. came out in 96. That was his only hit. He came out with other stuff. It was off the Bachelor album. He also did a cover of When Doves Cry. That wasn't too bad. But Pony... Number hit number two. People thought it was going to hit number one. 
but it never made it. Never made it to the number one spot. Hit number six. Stayed at number. I think. On the, I think in, for two weeks on Billboard's Hot R&B Hip Hop Songs, it stayed at number two. And then it peaked at number one after that. It did on Billboard's Hot R&B, but not Top 100. And then it dropped. But again, he disappeared. Now, he did work on Aaliyah's One in a Million album and song, which great, which was great. Timberland was the, was the producer on that. We all know what Timberland did. He was in the movie, uh, what's that movie, Booty Call. I think that came out in 97. Song also appeared in 2008, Grand Theft Auto, which is pretty cool. Um, they did some mashups of it too, some really cool mashups of it in 2021 with uh, Britney Spears' Toxic, and that had a cool, cool dance track to it. It's on TikTok, of course. It's a TikTok trend. But otherwise, that was it. He never had another hit, ever. That was it. And then he just disappeared. I don't know where Genuine is now. I know he did appear on a Parks and Rec episode, like one of the finales, so that was cool. But um, he played off as Donna's cousin, but that was it. But again, a song that the minute it comes on, the minute it comes on, you know it. You already know. That's going to be genuine. And he just fizzled away and disappeared. I think hip-hop and R&B have a ton of those. A ton of those. Let's talk about a let's talk about a song that I wish I didn't like. Okay? I really wish I didn't like it. And I know I'm looking at different genres over the years, but <clears throat> let's there you ever hear those songs that just come on and you're like I wish I didn't know this song, but I know it. And I like it, and I'm gonna play it. Because we've all got those. We've all got those songs. And this is one that gets played so many times that I hate it. It's Possum Kingdom by the Toadies. I know I'm gonna get I'm gonna get crucified here because it's a Texas thing. Possum Kingdom by the Toadies. I can't tell you how many times I played that song when it came out, and how many times it comes on. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna skip it, but I never do. So the band is you know came out in 1994, Possum Kingdom. As released by the Toadies. Toadies have not had another hit after this. This was their jam. It's basically... It's kind of like lies in this folklore, basically, of of what they are. So, in North Texas, near Fort Worth, there's a a lake called Possum Kingdom Lake. That's where the band was... That's where they're from, and that's where they got the idea. Well, there's a documentary out. It's called Dark Secrets, The Stories of Rubberneck. And it talks about Possum Kingdom. And it's a story about cult members that would burn themselves to ascend to a higher place. Possum Kingdom was about this moment. He goes to Possum Kingdom. He tries to find people to join him. And he wants to burn himself and set himself on fire. And that's where they got the idea of the, of, of the song. And if you listen to the song, you can hear it. You can hear it in there. I mean, the, the individual in the song, they show a dude dragging a body back from the river that opens it up and begins hacking it away. The, the, the actual video is pretty disturbing. And if you listen to the lyrics of it, you know, he's singing, do you want to die? Do you want to die? He repeats it over and over again. And it's about this cult that would go to Possum Kingdom to do these rituals. Which, by the way, I've got some buddies that go out to Possum Kingdom all the time. I've yet to be, be there, and I, you know what? It's one of those trips that people are like, man, you'll have a good time. It's still in all my little adventures, especially over the last several years. I'm not going out to Possum Kingdom with my son, man. You're talking about a cult was hanging out there, setting themselves on fire, and potentially others to ascend to another level. I've seen enough horror movies to know that that opens up a gate. And I'm not trying to dive into the upside down. Just not happening. Just not my thing. But everybody tells me you'll like Possum Kingdom. But I do like the song. And and again, it came out in 94, so I was like, what, a freshman or... Depending on what time it came out, I could have been a sophomore. But yeah. And my buddy, I had a roommate. 
he loved it. But he listened to the whole album, and I would get so annoyed because I'd be waiting for Possum Kingdom to come on, and he's listening to some other crap off the Toadies album that just sucks. He's like, bro, Toadies coming in concert. And I'm like, can we just watch the video? You know, back when they had videos. But that's another Texas band. That's two Texas bands on my playlist. Well, there's probably a lot more, but One Hit Wonders. I hope you guys are keeping notes. This is a good song. This is a good 90s alternative song, Possum Kingdom. Unreal. But if I'm talking One Hit Wonders, I got to look at some others. We got to look at House of Pain, Jump Around, which is on my son's playlist, by the way. You cannot stop dancing to that song. I don't care what you say. That song comes on, you know it, and you instantly start jumping around. It's like the better version of of Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. It was released in 92. 92 by House of Pain. Back when Everless, before he had his heart attack and before he got fat. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's alive, I'm just saying. But you hear that. You hear that beginning screech, whatever you want to talk, and you know it's going to be a banger. And you can play it anytime. And I don't care if you grew up with that song or you're in high school or what. You know that song and you can't stop. And they crushed it. And I say it's a better version of Vanilla Ice 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 Baby because you know all the lyrics. It's one of those songs that every single person that knows that song knows the lyrics. And House of Pain, they didn't have another hit. They had a couple decent songs after that. I'll admit, they did. They did. And it was produced by DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill. So, mad props to that. Because that was when that weird phase. So you got the Beastie Boys that were still doing stuff. Cypress Hill was coming on the scene. Um, House of Pain. It was an interesting phase in hip-hop. And this is definitely a hip-hop track. And it blew up. It was a pretty big hit. Peaked at number eight, but then climbed up to number five. And it stayed there. And what's great about it is it samples some really unique unique stuff. It's got a chubby checker track on there that's uh, Popeye the Hitchhiker that most people don't pick up on, but that's on there. And it is an amazing, amazing track. Now, unfortunately, the album, not great. Not a great album. A couple good songs, but not a great album. They did a couple things after that, and then they kind of just fizzled away. Just fizzled away. But Jump Around has, to this day, again, appeared on New Girl. It's appeared in a ton of movies. It constantly comes back. It was also in Grand Theft Auto. It's been in another video game, too. I can't remember it, but it's been another video game. And that is one of those tracks that when it pops off, you're like, I can't change it. And that's what makes these one-hit wonders so special and unique. I mean, there's all kinds of songs from bands that we love, you know, that we don't want to change, obviously. You know, you hear a track from Mumford or Eminem or Tupac or Biggie or... The Weekend I've been really into lately, or Rage Against the Machine, like, you don't want to change that. But then you hear some, you know, some one-hit you know, one wonder tracks, and you're like, okay, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it. And that's one of them. Now, let's take it way back to the 80s, okay? Let's take it way back to the 80s. And, and I could literally spend... Three episodes on here. (laughs) You know, I I could. But I want to talk about Tiffany. There was a battle going on that rivaled Tupac and Biggie. Totally not true. But let's just do it for the story's sake. 1987. Tiffany and Debbie Gibson. Both good-looking girls. Both coming out with singles. Both attacking the, the the scene and the youth and the teenagers. Which one was vying for the, the number one spot? Of course, Debbie Gibson came out later and changed her name to Deborah Gibson. She's she's grown up now. And then Tiffany posed nude for Playboy. So, I mean, either way, you win, you know? But, dude, Tiffany did one of the coolest things ever. And many of Bieber have, has followed... Uh, the Backstreet Boys followed. Michael Jackson, I don't think, did this. 
Tiffany, to promote her album, did the mall tour. I Think We're Alone Now was her hit, 1987. She did the mall tour. She actually went around the country and performed this song at malls. That's what blew her up. And then she shot the video in a mall. And then this song was everywhere. Everywhere. It was by far one of the most popular songs for her to come out with. Now, here's something interesting about it. It wasn't her song, really. I Think We're Alone Now is a song written by Richie Gordell, and it came out on that album in 1967. And it was a hit for James and the Shondells. It reached number one for five weeks in 1967. Number four in the top 100, and then dropped to number 22. I think we're alone now. Is not Tiffany's song. But she took it to a different level. Now, some people are like, it's not the same song. And I'm like, have you listened to it? <laughs> because, oh, I just touched my microphone. That was weird. Felt weird. I was like, what's under me? But have you listened to the lyrics? It's the same song. She just changes things around. And there we go. But I gotta be honest with you, when you when you start to say the words, I think we're alone now, you know you hear Tiffany's voice and you can see that horrible video of her dancing around <laughs> with her jean jacket on. Totally, totally captivating the boys, but also captivating the girls. But the song would belong to Tommy Dane, Ch- uh, Tommy James and the Shondells. Pretty interesting, though. That pe- There's a lot of people that don't know that. A lot of people look at it and go, wait a minute. So really, if you think about it from that perspective, it's a double one-hit wonder. Because it was a hit back then in 67, and then it became a hit when Tiffany did it. It also appeared, the original appeared on uh, that movie, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which came out in 1996. Uh, no, not 1996. 2016, which is part of that Cloverfield series, which I always thought was really cool, actually. But it's the same. It's the same. But I loved that Tiffany one. And if I had to pick a side, it's kind of like Christina, Christina Aguilera versus Britney. Like, Christina Aguilera could sing better. But at the time, you just wanted to look at Britney. Now I don't want to hear any of them or look at either of them. But, you know, Tiffany or Debbie Gibson. I didn't really like Debbie Gibson. I was much more a Tiffany fan. My cousin, my older cousin, loved Tiffany. I mean, and and she was older than I was at the time, so obviously there was more of an attraction. But yes, I was definitely a Tiffany fan. But what happened to Deborah Gibson? We know that Tiffany took her clothes off. So, I mean, she took them off way later. I don't remember when that was. I think it... I think it was like 2005 or something that she got naked for Playboy. I don't remember. I saw it. I mean, I had to look, you know. And I was like, all right, well, she's she looks fine. I don't think it was nearly exciting for me, you know, as it would have been back in the day. All right, Debbie Gibson. Let's go back to Debbie. So let's talk about the good old Debbie, Debbie Gibson, who walked around in a blossom hat in 1986. That was her big deal. It's her big songs. What was Debbie Gibson's favorite song, though? Like, like, what was her song? Lost in Your Eyes. Lost in Your Eyes was Debbie Gibson's hit. And that was more of a real, like, love song. Now, some people are going to say, wait a minute, Brandon, she had other hits. No, she had other songs on the radio. They weren't hits. There's a difference. But Debbie, Debbie Gibson's Lost in Your Eyes was a big song for her. It came out in 1989. It was recorded in 88. And everybody thought, ooh, what do we got here? And it blew up the charts. It blew up the charts. I believe it hit number one in the first week of it being released. 
debuted at, no, I'm sorry, debuted at number 42, but climbed all the way to number one and remained there for four weeks. And it was her most successful single and her only single to hit that chart. Of course, overseas, it stayed there for a lot longer. They just kind of like things differently than we do. But Debbie Gibson was like the sweet girl next door. Tiffany was like, you're kind of sweet, but you're kind of going to wind up in the back of my car type girl. Debbie Gibson was like, you're kind of sweet, and you're probably going to just want to go out for ice cream. And lo and behold, years later, we found out that to be true. I mean, God bless her. Look, Tiffany, you want to take your clothes off? That's okay. That's okay. Do your thing, girl. But Debbie Gibson never did that. So, just saying. I called it. I called it. It was redheads, man. You got to watch out. You got to watch out for them. But... Debbie Gibson had that hit and never had another hit. She recorded music later when she changed her name to Deborah Gibson, and then that didn't work out very well. She had a TV show, kind of like a reality show, like a, not a Where Are They Now, but like a Look at My Life as a Mom type show. I don't know. I think it was like a season, and I don't know how many episodes. I watched it for a little bit. I think Tiffany did too. I, I, they even talked about their rival. And they made it seem like it was all like the record companies. And it's like, no, I think there were some hidden little agendas there between you two. But yeah, she, she bounced out of music. She's just a mom now. I mean, I'm sure if you look at it and, and look at things that she's done you know, over the years, maybe there's been some more music involved. But for the most part, she's just a mom. And now that's one song I don't have on my playlist. I can't hear I Think We're Alone Now without thinking instantly of going to that video of her dancing in the mall, but also going to the movie Ted, where Giovanna Ribisi is dancing with that song. It reminds me of like a toned-down version of <laughs> Goodbye Horses from Silence of the Lambs. And if you guys don't know either of these references, well, I can't help you. But that's what, like, whenever I hear that song, Goodbye Horses, I think of Silence of the Lambs and Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. Then when I hear I Think We're Alone Now, I'm like, oh, God, Giovanna Ribisi's Dancing Weird from Ted. And it just makes me crack up. I played it at work the other day. I got a lot of looks. I mean, that's, that's okay. But Deborah Gibson, Debbie Gibson, it's a good song. It just, it's not one that's on my playlist. But a song that is on my playlist that everybody knows, Sinead O'Connor, Nothing Compares to You. That song was sung almost perfectly by Sinead O'Connor, who was completely insane um, and crazy and never had another hit, ever, ever again. Probably because she's crazy. Irish singer. She talked a lot of crap about the pulp. Uh, she had a lot of bad life, though. Uh, her, um, her son died in the hospital recently. Just really horrible. Really awful. Um... But the story of Sinead O'Connor is an interesting song uh, because that song was not written by her. That song was written by the man himself, Prince, the Purple One. He wrote that song. He composed it, and he helped write it for a side project. He did that song, but he didn't really like it. In 1989, he handed it off to her. And Sinead O'Connor recorded the version of the song that we know best. And it was her second studio album. And it was released as a single. And it blew up. Billboard charts, VH1, uh, MTV, blew up. Everybody loved it. Even Prince said, there are some songs that are just written for other people. Now when he did his version of the song, which is on the, the album The Family, it's like a funk band the side project great song beautiful beautifully sung he sang it great he had a great gospel choir singer in the background i forgot her name she's amazing um god who was it i mean she's she's such a good singer and um but it had, it had a much different vibe for it and most people prefer even i prefer the Sinead o'connor version because i think she captures what that song is and you can almost hear that desperation in her voice that sadness and that heartbreak whereas the prince version yeah it's great it's soul it's it's prince but it's not uh not really my favorite version and i love prince i'm not bad mouthing it but he he had a different image for it 
But he handed that song to Sinead O'Connor and said, hey, look, this is one of those songs that's supposed to be for you. So she wrote it, or she sang it. And I tell you what, that's a beautiful song. And I don't like Sinead O'Connor at all. I can't stand her. Oh, my gosh. Like, I hear her just talk, and I'm like, shut up. But when she sings that song, it's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. It is It is a an amazing song. So check that out. But you have a lot of artists that have done that. Prince has written a ton of songs for people. You know, he's... I mean, you got to think about this guy, man. Who's by far the opposite of a one-hit wonder. Never even in that same category. But you got to look at, like... You know, when you're just writing music... And you're putting it out there. And you're like... Alright, this isn't going to work for me. I don't really like this song. Let me just store it. Or give it to somebody else. Another song, this is not, this is just a little sidebar. Another song that he gave away was Manic Monday. Yeah, he gave it over to the Bengals, who have more than one hit. But Manic Monday, he wrote it and said, you know what? Eh, I think you can have it. He listened to their 1984 debut album all over the place, and he gave the song to the Bengals. I think he gave it to the guitarist. I forgot her name. Susan Hoff or something like that. And he kind of did it because he kind of had a little thing for her. That's the rumor. But he did give it to her. And they turned it into a song. And you know what? It works. Manic Monday works for them. I think Prince could have done it, and he might have done it in his life. But he's done that. There's a lot of artists that do it. One that I really love is Linda Perry. Four non-blondes going into a one-hit wonder, if you will. What's up? Or what's going on? Or, you know. Off their album. Debut album. Tell me you know what's up or what's going on. I think it's called What's Up. But I think it's like, what's going on, parentheses, what's up, or vice versa. That's a one hit. That's their only hit. Now, that album from Four Non Blondes is pretty good. It's got some weird stuff in there, but it's pretty good. But that song comes on, and bam, you just, you know it. Again, on my playlist and my son's playlist, which is crazy. So the Four Non Blondes came out. That's a 90s song. I think it's like 93, maybe. I always get these dates confused, and this is probably why I have notes that I don't use. But um, that was their that was their only hit, and again, it's a great song. It you know the the band never really captivated people though. It didn't really work. I don't know why because I felt like they came out at such a time with alternative music that and and rock music and that '90s style with like Blind Melon and and other bands like that that I thought it would have worked, but it just didn't. It never did. But that song became a number one hit. And everybody knows it. Because, again, it's appeared in all kinds of TV shows and videos and 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 everything. Uh, not just videos. I mean, like, uh, karaoke bars, which why anybody would want to sing um, that song at karaoke and try to be like Linda Perry, who's got a crazy, crazy, amazing voice. She is another one, though. She's another one that absolutely can write music for people and has made a career out of writing amazing music. The song came out in 92. I'm sorry. Yeah, it came out in 92. I was right. Okay. I was way off, actually. About two years off. But I just... I, I don't remember how early it is in the 90s when that hit. Dude, it sold 17 million records. Not too bad. Not too bad at all. They, they did a tour together. Um... Are they toured with a lot of people, uh, which I thought was cool. So it's actually got an interesting connection to another band that doesn't have one-hit wonder. It's more than a one-hit wonder. And it's the front man of Third Eye Blind. You know, the guys who sing Semi-Charmed Life. I guess the two of them were working together as musicians in San Francisco. They were both struggling and they really didn't know how that what they were going to do. They thought, you know, we might not make it. She worked as a waitress. Linda Perry worked as a waitress down the street. 
and she was composing music and he worked i think he was just like playing gigs but what ended up happening they start to work on music together she helped write some of his songs and he helped compose some of their songs and then they both ended up having some really good sales i mean 17 million records is no big deal which i thought was really cool i'm not no big deal it's it is a big deal (laughs) my bad it is a big deal but this was the only song to make the list. This was the only song to make that Billboard 100. It's the only song that people really had a good reception towards. Number one. It made it in number one for seven weeks. That's huge. Seven weeks. And, and back in the day, this was when MTV was just blowing it up. I mean, they were showing this video after video after video. But after that, done. Now, Linda Perry had a solo album... That was really, really good, completely different than what she did with Four Non Blondes. But it didn't really get some critical reception. A lot of people didn't a lot of people don't even know about it. But it's an actually a really good album. It's got some beautifully written lyrics in it. I mean beautifully. There's some songs I hear and the way she sings them, uh, I really like. She just has this unique voice. And I really enjoy. But she's somebody who got that hit, that number one hit, and said, okay, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. This was the second single that was released off the album, but the only one that that was a hit. But did you know that Linda Perry has written songs for Sia, Maroon 5, Christina Aguilera, Pink? I mean, she's written... You want to know when Pink went from... She kind of came out and had that weird hip-hop album that didn't really work. And she's like, look, I'm going to be myself. She hooked up with Linda Perry, and boom, there you go. Fire. But she has written songs for so many people. She's written songs for um, Michelle Branch. um, Not Britney Spears. I think she wrote some songs for Usher. Like, did some little parts of songs for Usher. Really came out and said, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I, if there's an artist, oh, Florence and the Machine, she helped write songs for. I mean, just so many. That's If you go look at some of these artists that have had these big-name songs that you hear on the radio, Linda Perry's behind a ton of music, and it works for her. And that happens to a lot of artists, a ton of artists. And I'm kind of glad she did that because I think she's actually a better songwriter. And, you know, it's cool. She can still drop an album here and there if she feels like it, but why not just make that bank? Speaking of of Usher, it reminded me of Cisco, the thong song. Do you know that Cisco? We all think of him as being, like, this big artist, right? For some reason. Because of the name and where he was. But that was his only hit? The thong song. His only hit. 1999, Unleash the Dragon was his album. And that was the only hit. He appeared on other stuff. That was his solo debut album. He was supposed to be a great R&B singer, great dancer. Has some, uh, you know, debuts. Or he kind of helps some people. He kind of guest appearances. Look, the Thong song was had four Grammy nominations ton of other awards was number one on the billboard top 40 was number three on the billboard top 100 guess what nothing no other hit he had incomplete which was his second highest peaking hit and i say hit but it fell below the top 100 it's not a hit it was literally this was the song the thong song was his major success and yet Cisco managed to appear all over the place get Grammy nominations get awards nothing after that nothing but everybody knows the thong song the minute it starts you know the thong song and he was gone again strippers thank god thank god for these songs you know strippers have to have a ton of one hit wonders man if we didn't have the thong song and pony what would strippers do man i mean dude they're still dancing to motley crew they probably they probably were dancing to motley crew when motley crew was big and now they're like 70 years old 60 years old dancing on a tuesday at some strip club or something speaking of strippers (laughs) what about buck cherry you guys remember the rock band Buck Cherry? 
Huge hit. Huge, huge, huge hit. Huge hit. Do you guys know what it is? Came out with the, the song. Really, they formed in 1995, but it came out with the song in 1999. Buck Cherry and Time Bomb were two albums that they had. They dissolved the band. The band came out in 1999, Time Bomb 2001. They broke up in 2002. But the only hit they had, it was the biggest hit, was Crazy Bitch. Their first and only top 100 hit. Number eight. Now, they had the song Sorry, which was a, a pretty big album, pretty big song. That didn't have the what, what manages the hit. Yes, it was on the radio. Yes, it had a video. Yes, it had some good stuff. But no, didn't quite work. Didn't make it there. But Crazy Bitch, huge on the first 100. And that song, strip, strippers loved it. They were like, oh my God, play some Godsmack, play some Thong Song, play some Buck Cherry, and we're good to go. But that was it. And then he did a little tour. He came over and did some stuff with Stone Temple Pilots when Scott Whalen died. And then, you know, Chester came over and did some stuff. But that was it, man. He formed some other bands. I think he's got another band that he's out right now. I know they did some stuff at Crew Fest, but he's got another song out or another band called... I think it's it's Buck Cherry, but I think he's the only original member, and it's called Hellbound. And um, apparently they're working on that project. I don't know. Nobody cares, though. <laughs> Nobody cares. You know, they're out there in L.A. somewhere, tatted up on the beach, you know, sticking needles in their arms still. But that song, Crazy Bitch, was huge. I mean, just think about it. It's, it's a fire song. It's got tons of energy feels like it should be with that it's like a modern version of like motley crew and skid row like it's just that hard rock song that one's still on my playlist although i don't really play that when my son's around but yeah it's on there and it pops up and i'm like yeah this is a good jam right here like it takes you back you know and that's what these one hit wonders do they take you back and there was all kinds of one hit wonders back in the day you know when you look at some of the Motown bands or you look at some of the, the 60s, you know, in the 60s and 70s and think about the, the disco era. They come out with one song, boom, light up a dance floor for two weeks and then done. But one hand wonders sit there and they resonate with us. I mean, there's something magical. There's almost something magical about a one hit wonder more than one album wonder. There, there's some one band wonders too, you know, like Blind Melon was a great band. It could have been a great band. It had some interesting things. Came out at the right time. They had one hit, No Rain. And then he died of a drug overdose, Shannon Hoon. But it could have been a band, because there's other stuff on their album that might have been a hit. And then there's those bands that have those songs that you think are going to be a one-hit wonder, and they shoot themselves to another level. And let's not forget the one-hit wonders that we just can't help. You, if you didn't have these one-hit wonders, would bars play them? Would weddings have them? Chumba Wumba, Tub Thumping? It's a horrible song, but we all know about it. It's about getting drunk. Pissing the night away. It's about getting drunk. We all know it. We love it. My Sharona? Come on. These are all one-hit wonders that set the tone for the nights, for the playlist, for the mood, for parties. And some of those songs have made the top 10 one-hit wonders of all time. Turning Japanese by The Vapors. There's so many songs that came out in the 80s that you're just like, what? How was this even a hit? But it was. I still, like, when, when I say these names, you've got to have them pop in your head. I mean, they have reached the pinnacle of one-hit wonderness. I mean, My Sharona, everybody knows that song. From all the decades, too. That's what's crazy about it. Tainted Love by Soft Cell, which really wasn't originally by Soft Cell. Soft Cell, by the way, is a really strange band, if you want to look them up. Really weird stuff, man. Spirit in the Sky. Norman Greenbaum. Spirit in the Sky, isn't that on the uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy playlist? Again, they've rejuvenated it. Come on, Eileen. Huge song. That is a huge one-hit wonder that Dexie's Midnight Runners never had another one after that. They performed that song until they were blue in the face and they disappeared. It's also been covered by a couple other bands. No Doubt covered it. Um, Saving Save Ferris covered it. A lot of bands covered uh, Come On Eileen. But again, Dexie's Midnight Runners, original, 
Never had another one, but they got their hit. So what about you guys? What about some hits? I may come back and revisit this and start looking at hip-hop one-hit wonders or rock one-hit wonders of this decade because I feel like I've only scratched the surface of these amazing songs. But these are some that are on my list. And what about you? What about songs that are on your list? What are some one-hit wonders that you're like, Brandon, you got to check this out. Did you forget this one? Because they're out there. And they're all over the place. And they're, they're not stopping anytime soon. So let me know what you think of the one-hit wonders. Drop me a message, lifeofanaveragejoepodcast.com. You can email me at thelifeofanaveragejoe at gmail.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, all the fun stuff. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Thanks, guys.